Hey, thanks for giving us a chance and listening to the first episode of the Canadian Jewish News Podcast. I'm Alex Rose. I'm Michael Freeman. Today on the show, we're going to talk about a columnist at a newspaper in Prince Edward Island. He quit that paper after it called him a Zionist goon. And we're going to be kickstarting a recurring segment that we're calling, Do Jews Really Need to Worry About This? This week, we're asking if Jews really need to worry about this bizarre anti-Semitic float in Belgium that's made headlines all over the world. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about this big new survey of Canadian Jews. It's the most in-depth study of its kind that's been done on our community, and it paints the clearest picture yet of what Canadian Jews value and what makes us unique. To dig a bit deeper into this, we asked uh, Ron Sillag, a CJN reporter, to uh, swing by the studio and, and talk with us. Ron's been covering this survey for the CJN, uh, and he wrote a pretty hefty cover story about it this week. So, Ron, to start things off, I'm wondering, what exactly is this thing? What this is, to, to sum it up, it's, it, what it isn't, it's more important to say, is not a census. Because the past censuses have given very limited data. So they do demographic things. We've all answered these questions. Age, gender, number of people in your household, that kind of thing. The Jewish communities then take that de- have taken that data and have drilled down further uh, at a, a certain, you pay a certain fee and, and stats can will do any kind of cross-referencing for you. And they've come up with pretty detailed portraits of their communities. Now, Stephen Harper famously canceled the census because it said it was too intrusive. And then that was replaced by a national household survey, which was even less accurate. So in order to fix all this and to come up with vastly new parameters, um, three uh, well-known sociologists in, in the Jewish community, Bob Brim, Rhonda Linton, and Keith Newman, uh, did something else entirely. So rather than ask about demographic facts, they asked questions that focused on behavior and experience and attitudes, which is harder to gauge. That's why it's really rather extensive. So they've asked uh, about 2,300 people 99 questions, and that's a massive pool of data right there. So, sorry, I, I just so, need to jump in here. Yeah. I see you glancing over at this enormous stack of papers next to you. Is that actually, that's, that's it? That's the this thing? is it. It's, it's, it's over uh, 84 pages of very densely packed charts and graphs. You, did you actually and read it? I actually thing? did read it. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually, uh, it's an awful lot to digest. But, um, and, and it's not exactly the most scintillating reading. But if you know what you're, there is an executive summary. And if, if you know what to look for, it's quite interesting. So it, it breaks out certain things like, um, did you have a bar mitzvah? Are both your parents Jewish? How do you feel about going to synagogue? Are you a member? Uh, is your spouse, uh, are you married? Are, what's intermarriage like in so, Canada? So is there really nothing, mm. there's nothing that was done like this before? Not really, no. Not on this level and not at this depth. So what were some of the most interesting findings or the one that Jewish community leaders would be most interested in? Well, one of the things this did is compare us... It, it, we have a favorite parlor game in Canada that's comparing us to Americans. And this also grew out of a, a Pew survey in 2013 in the United States, which is equally very extensive. So this is what it tried to replicate, and it tried to compare us to the Americans. So uh, what it found was something quite different. We're very different from the Americans. We have much higher levels of cohesion. We donate to Jewish charities more. More of our spouses are Jewish. Assimilation is much less apparent in Canada. It's not all good news, of course. We can get into that. There's um, uh, high levels of, uh, of uh, discrimination, especially among certain age groups. And there's something very interesting I found is that a lot of people, especially in large centers like Toronto, 
have said that they have at least once downplayed their Jewishness in social situations. And that's really remarkable. 41% in Toronto of young Jews aged 18 to, I think, 29, have at least once downplayed their Jewishness in a social setting at work or while traveling. And that's a very high number. You just want to fit in. Well, yeah, you just want to fit in. But boy, that's a lot of people saying, well, I'm not really Jewish or I'm ethnically Jewish, I'm culturally Jewish. That's a lot of people uh, denying their Judaism. And and that's uh, quite alarming. I think that's alarming a lot of a lot of people, that's something they, they want to work on. I don't know how they would, but they would. The, the thing you're talking about does sort of gel with a story I wrote a few months ago um, where I was trying to gauge a similar kind of thing, but without the study, uh, the, how Canadians are perceived, Canadian Jews are perceived in the diaspora. Um, and a big part of that is distinguishing ourselves from Americans. And one of the things that did uh, strike me as true, and I was kind of surprised, but then not really surprised to find out, was that we are, the Canadian Jews in general, I think because there's fewer of us or we live closer together or something, tend to be more conservative, tend to be more, I mean, we can talk about the whole conservative swing in the last 20 years, which I think is right. is, is somewhat new, you know, post-Harper, post-Stephen Harper sort of thing. But like, even just, just in, ter- like, in terms of our mentality, in terms of uh, things like uh, that are proven here in this, in this, um, in the study, like being pro-Israel, you know, have, being a little bit more um, religious and a little bit more committed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I found that sort of, well, I was reaffirming for stuff that, that I already thought without hard data. Um, why, why is it? I, I don't know if they get into that. I think it's important not to confuse being religiously conservative with politically conservative. And, and yes, under Harper, Jewish community for the first time ever, uh, voted majority conservative. But it's always been known that, for, for example, the reform movement here is not as liberal as in the United States. One of the reasons, well, uh, one of the manifestations of that is that patrilineal descent, in other words, saying you're Jewish if your father is Jewish but your mother isn't, was passed by American Reform Jews in 1983. It was never adopted in Canada. That's a good hallmark. But yes, it's true that um, um, Canadian Jews tend to be uh, more religiously conservative. I mean, by far the largest branch in the United States of, of Judaism is reform. It's conservative in Canada, but not by much. But yes, that's that's true. Politically, I'm not sure where we are now. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I, I mean, it seems like <clears throat> certainly somewhat recently, I think we're still, Jewish Canadians are still generally uh, skewed conservative just mm-hmm. due to is- Israeli allegiance and stuff like that, the, the sort of political identity lines that are being drawn. Um, Another thing that I, I suspect is true, and this is not based on anything, and I wonder if it's in the study, is that Canadian Jews are also a bit wealthier. Because it does seem like things like we have, we're more likely to send our kids to Jewish school, we're more likely to take trips to Israel, strike me on the surface as something that could be a hallmark of just a wealthier class. Is I don't that know, off base? I don't know. It doesn't gauge income in that sense, but it does gauge education. And it seems that the more educated we are, the more involved we are in the community, and thus the more likely to send your kid to a Jewish day school. Um, you know, that doesn't take into account things like how many families are subsidized to go to day school. It's a lot. But yes, uh, there's a higher proportion of people connecting to Israel and a higher proportion of families sending their kids to day school. A theory I'd heard before is that the Canadian Jewish community is a younger community than in the States, that there haven't been as established communities as long. and that we might just be less assimilated in some ways and um, conservative communities are often immigrant communities or the other way around. 
immigrant communities are often conservative communities. I don't know if there's any truth to that or yeah. anything here would bear that out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, the, if, if it addresses that. What it addresses really is, is the big one is identity and how we self-identify as Jewish. And one of the interesting things is that while a lot of Jews say that religion is very important to them, the practice of religion really doesn't seem to be. So, um, you know, the actual dogma and the practice of religion. So what we're seeing is that an overwhelming uh, number of people are saying that they are Jewish by various other factors. So here's a quote from Bob Brim, the lead author. 95% of respondents consider themselves Jewish by religion. That's a lot. However, the plain fact is that religion, paradoxically, is not very important to most Canadian Jews. And this is interesting. The level of belief in God or a supernatural being, whatever you want to call them, is 7 in 10 among all Canadians. It's actually 6 in 10 among Canadian Jews. Fewer Jews believe in God than all Canadians put together. So how do, and of course, uh, it, among the Orthodox, we find more than a quarter, uh, uh, more than one quarter of respondents saying that they're Jewish and this is mainly a matter of religion alone. But among everyone else, they define in combinations. So there's ethnicity, and there's ancestry, and there's religion. So there's a whole bunch of combinations and permutations going on. Very few people say it's by religion alone. I mean, that has to raise the question, what is Judaism for all these Jewish people who consider themselves Jewish by religion, but don't practice Judaism as a religion? Well, they consider themselves Jewish. Some of them consider them themselves just Jewish. So when you break that down and say, well, how many of you are Jewish by religion? Not that many. So they're Jewish. Well, you know, I feel ethnically Jewish. I certainly feel culturally Jewish. And yes, I also feel religiously Jewish. So again, it's combinations of things. It's a real thick soup. Something I thought was very funny. I, I just need to read this one part because I, mean, I guess funny is the wrong word, but very odd. Mm. <laughs> I just need to read this. You wrote, in terms of what people think are the most, quote-unquote, essential elements of being Jewish, most cited leading a moral and ethical life, mm -hmm. 72%. That's the number one. Remembering the Holocaust, 69%, and celebrating Jewish holidays, 58%. I am, I am frankly shocked mm -hmm. the Holocaust is the number two thing that people think defines an essential Jewish life. Well, it defines an essential part of being Jewish. And so, you know, because survivors are still with us and because memories of the Holocaust are still fresh, uh, yeah, that percentage is going to be high. If you check back in a generation, it might not be so high. Well, and, and fair enough. I mean, it is mm -hmm. an undeniable part of, of Jewish life in the 21st mm -hmm. century. But if you ask me what's an essential element of being Jewish, I mean, I wouldn't put the Holocaust above, mm -hmm. you know, Yom Kippur. You know, this is this is a bottomless pit, this study, and it, you can go on looking at it forever. And that's probably something we, you know, well, I'd want to ask the authors. That's a good point. What's also interesting about the way these questions are formulated is they're yes or no questions. So you could say, do you go to shul more than once a year on the high holidays? And you might say yes or no. And for the people who do, Yom Kippur and Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah might be more important than the Holocaust. But I think maybe you're less likely to find someone to say, that no, remembering the Holocaust is not important. Even if for an individual person, it might not be as important as other parts of their Judaism, it's somewhat important to more people overall. 
maybe that's a way to reconcile it. You, you know, at, at the end of the day, I just wonder if there are so many, like you said, there are just so many different types of, of people who responded to this. I mean, it's too, you know, 2,300 isn't a small number. It's also not huge. Yeah. Um, people just disagree. People are different. And I think those differences just come out. Right. Right. And, and they also vary greatly from place to place. Yeah. Jews in Vancouver are very different from Jews in Montreal. Well, thanks so much, Ron. Appreciate oh, it. it's been my pleasure. I can talk about this for a lot longer. <laughs> do, do you want to stick around for the rest of the podcast? Yeah. Or do you have work to do? Not, uh, well, my watch is stuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you got all the time in the world. Well, the next thing we want to talk about, uh, we're just going to shift gears here. There's a story that Alex just put online. It's about Jews in Prince Edward Island. Yes. And this little feud that's going on. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can recall, when I was doing a little bit of data gathering as to where Jews are in Canada, there are fewer than 200 Jews in PEI, if I'm not mistaken. I wouldn't have even said that much. <laughs> there are not a lot. And the fact that there is this infighting, this weird feud, I, I don't even, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also not funny, I guess, if you're one of the two Jews in the middle of this feud. Alex, why don't you explain a bit about what this story is? Sure. So very quickly, Henry Srebrenik is a professor of political science at the University of Prince Edward Island. And he writes, he wrote, I should say, weekly columns for a paper in Charlottetown called The Guardian. And he would write about politics in the world, often touching on Israel. And three years ago, a man named Richard Deaton started writing replies to his articles, um, basically refuting everything he said. And most recently in January, he wrote an article with the headline, and now he probably didn't write the headline, but the headline was, Sue me, you Zionist goons. And he never explicitly called Henry Srebrenik and the other person in the story Zionist goons, but he said they're Zionists and they use goon tactics. The paper called them Zionist goons, and Srebrenik said he wouldn't write for the paper anymore because he thought it was very inappropriate to be personally attacked in that way. But as I understand it, I, and I, I know Henry for many, many years, he had a running feud with somebody another member of the community who went back and forth and they, were, they had been fighting openly in the press for years. And this is a culmination of that. Am I right? Yeah. So it's been years since 2015 when he moved to Prince Edward Island, when Richard Deaton did, that he's been responding to Henry Srebrenik's articles about Israel. So Srebrenik would write something and Deaton would write something. And I don't know if Srebrenik would address Deaton in his articles as much as it seems like Deaton would respond to Srebrenik. But this was certainly the straw that broke the camel's back from Srebrenik's point of view. Uh, he thought it was an inappropriate personal attack. And he's writing these columns for free for the paper. So he didn't like the articles that disagreed with him, but he felt this was a step over the line. How, how, how do you know this guy, Ron? Um, Henry Srebrenik and I can't remember the other one's name. Yes, Shloimi Perel. How about that? <laughs> who were two Sorry. young, very young history students or graduate students in Montreal, I believe in the late, in the early 1980s. They were either graduate students or very, very young teachers, published something in the Jerusalem Post about Quebec, about, uh, about Quebec society and how anti-Semitic it was. <clears throat> you know, decades of anti-Semitism emanating from the pulpit and trade unions and other sectors of society. And of course, this is before the days of the internet, uh, the, and the, the lesson it taught was that the, you can criticize Quebec internally any way you want, but once you criticize it internationally, externally, the poop hits the fan, and they were roundly denounced and in, in every corner of Quebec society. Uh, talk show hosts filled up universities and so on. Columnists denounced them without probably have, have, never having read the piece. So he's no stranger to controversy. 
But uh, I'm, I'm, I, I guess he just got fed up after a while. And I'm sorry he backed down. I really am. I, I, I think I know this. I, I've heard of this other writer who's been opposing him all these years. And he's just, he's a nasty bit of work. But uh, to just say I quit and I go home kind of hands him a victory. It does. I, I, I read the, the article in question, the Zionist goons piece. Um, it's extremely unilateral, uh, pro-BDS, anti-Israel stuff. Like it's, it's just the kind of textbook tweets that you read uh, coming out from that side. And I mean, sure, personal attacks, you could say, is, is a step too far. But something that just endears me to this story innately, I think it's, it's the, the part of me that loves this, um, this notion that public discourse and writing in a paper of record carries so much weight that you have this debate back and forth between two guys on totally opposite sides who each raise sometimes valid points and sometimes invalid points just as any argument does that it it's almost like social media never happened and like this is the forum where the minds clash and the debates and opinions are exchanged and i guess in in that mindset if you call someone a goon that's the step too far like it's it's a very and, and apologies to the Srebrenik guy if I'm offending him and he listens to this, but it, it does sound like a sort of adorably antiquated way of doing journalism. And I say this as a, you know, snotty millennial who's only, <laughs> who, who just reads the shit every day on Twitter. But like, it, it's just not the world I'm familiar with. And I love that in these little small cities across Canada, those sort of rivalries still exist. And yet the debates are the exact same. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset, as I said before, that Henry backed down in the face of, you know, the lowest form of attack, which is the ad hominem. Once you start calling someone's name, or once you start calling someone a name, you know, the argument is pretty well over. And that's not the time to give up. That's the time to say, you know, you've reached the bottom. Uh, let's, let's do something else. Uh, au contraire. On, on Twitter, that's where the debate starts. Well, you're right. <laughs> you're right. But, but uh, I, I'm, I'm still of the mindset that newspapers aren't Twitter. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're still the place to conduct uh, reasonable and civil debates. For what it's worth, he's going to continue writing in another PEI paper, just oh, not good. The Guardian anymore. And it's owned by the same bigger company, Saltwire. And we'll probably meet reach much of the same audience but he did say there were people in the community who wanted him to continue writing in the guardian because they felt like he was making good points and they wanted his arguments to be visible even if he was offended at what they published about him okay i think now we'll segue into our last segment uh ron we have a segment that we end our our podcast with it's uh called do jews really need to care about this (laughs) <laughs> and each week we take a subject, uh, a subject of some controversy, and we ask ourselves, do Jews really need to care about this? Um, so the subject of, of today's <laughs> segment uh, is the float in Belgium, mm. the anti-Semitic float. Uh, and if any listeners are hearing this and you haven't seen the float, just search quickly, Google search, anti-Semitic Belgian float. Go to Google Images. You'll see it. You'll see the noses taken up 30% of your screen. You'll see the, the giant orthodox black hats. You'll see the payas. You'll see the rat on one of their shoulders. You'll see the bags of money. And if you play the video, you'll see that float pass by and the parade of maybe 10 or 20 people dressed in pink blazers with the orthodox hat and payas throwing money around and dancing. Uh, and you will probably say, oh, Jesus. So my question to you both, 
Did Jews really need to care about this? Uh, I say a resounding yes, because this is anti-Semitism as out in the open as it can possibly be. So, you know, this is, this is no longer uh, quiet whispers or, or anything like that. Uh, this is nasty stuff lifted almost straight from, straight, straight from the th Third Reich, these images of, of, you know, the avaricious, big-nosed Jew. And so, yes, I think Jews need to care about this. Th this is Europe, and when it happens in Europe, it's bad. <laughs> and I think we need to care. From one of the articles I read, someone approached the people who made the float and asked what they were thinking. And it was just a joke that they thought would be funny. They didn't apologize for using offensive anti-Semitic uh, imagery. They said they wouldn't have enough money to do the float next year. So it would be a sabbatical year. And from there, they thought, oh, sabbatical, Jews. Of course, they didn't say as much, but there's also the connotation of uh, people don't have money, the Jews. Yeah. have money they composed an original song about jews getting fat to play alongside the float so why is what's meant to be a joke for them dangerous and harmful for us because you know the same way any stereotype is dangerous or harmful people believe them they act on them and i think allowing them to go unchallenged or unquestioned is just another way of saying they're accepted and maybe even there is some truth to this i uh i agree uh, we're, we're, we're at a unanimous yes, yes, yes on this one. We, we all think that Jews do actually need to worry about this, which is, which is I think, the correct answer. I'm going to give a slightly different reason, though. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think that it is a form of conscious anti-Semitism the way you hear some people, you know, chanting Jews will not replace us or, or, or it's, it's not that kind of conscious thing because they didn't, as I said, they didn't realize that it was or, or, I mean, they probably realized it would be, but they maybe didn't care or something yeah. like that. Like, it, it wasn't their intent to do that to Jews. But it is telling that they went to the mayor first, I believe, or they went to somebody in city council and said, hey, is this okay? And the mayor said, yeah, we got your back. And not only that, we'll handle the legal fees too. Like, we're, we're expecting a pushback from this. And the mayor has since come out and defended it again. Um, I wonder if he is still doing that after seeing exactly the kind of reaction that they did get. But I think the, the more troubling part of this and the thing that Jews really need to worry about, it's, it's taken for granted that these sort of stereotypes just exist and you can just play off them. It, it's not, hey, look, there's the, the, you know, let's make fun of Jews. It's just, yeah, it's like this is just a Jewish stereotype that we can use now. Like it's, it's, it's almost that they thought it would be kind of innocently funny that's, that's troubling, right? Because they're obviously not trying to uh, mock Jews in the same way that these images in in Europe in the 20th century were being used, right? Like, it's not the same attack on Jews. They weren't saying burn the Jews. It's the no. fact that they... Thank goodness for small favors. And, <laughs> and they'll quite buy this whole business of intent. I think somebody had to be onto this. Otherwise, it, it would have taken a different form or shape. I think, I think there was a deliberateness about it, too. And you think all the all the other people cheering outside and all the other people in the parade, they were just not all of them. Orders, you might we, say. We, we, we don't know what's in the mind of everyone who's looking at it, but certainly some people will look at it and say, yeah, that's what Jews are like. That's what they look like. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to give people a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but that benefit of the doubt, to be clear, is just assuming that they're kind of ignorant and and just making fun of, of you know, cartoon tropes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember a trip to Poland a couple of years ago. And across Poland, uh, where there's, you know, maybe maximum of 10,000 Jews where 3 million once lived, you can find these 
uh, little dolls. They're about three or four inches high. They're wood, and it's it's always it's an Orthodox rabbi, and in his hand is a copper coin. And I asked the shopkeeper, "Why do you have this?" He says, "Well, everyone knows Jews love money." So here's a place where once... Who doesn't love money? This is the thing that always gets me. Who's like, ah, oh, money, fuck that, I don't need that well, shit. Then, well, That's then... the Jews to have. I'm happy being poor. <laughs> Who says that? Nobody says that, but then why, why is it an Orthodox rabbi? Why not just anybody? There's only one doll in Poland that has this, and it's, it's an Orthodox rabbi holding a penny. I don't know if this is getting too off topic, but there's someone in, I think, Warsaw, certainly somewhere in Poland now, who's an American Jew who moved to Poland and dresses up as the lucky Jew for people to take pictures with him <laughs> as a way like it's meant to satirize it like to show people how ridiculous it is or maybe he like gets portraits painted of himself and sells the portraits but i know a lot of people criticized him and saying you're really just validating this and buying into the stereotype and just letting people go along with the joke at your expense i don't think it'll bring anyone good luck though <laughs> Thank you for listening to our first episode. It means a lot to us. You can find it on the Canadian Jewish News website. That's at cjnews.com. And hopefully, pretty soon, you'll be able to find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, 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 let us know what you think. We're pretty new to this whole podcasting thing, uh, so we're looking for as much feedback as we can get. We're eager for any comments. Leave us a comment online or send us an email. Uh, my email is mframan, F-R-A-I-M-A-N, at thecjn.ca. And you can reach me at arose at thecjn.ca. That's A-R-O-S-E at thecjn.ca. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the Canadian Juice News Podcast. I'm Alex Rose. <laughs> You're just staring at me. <laughs> that Just staring at me doesn't make it conversational. You still this sound like a robot. Conversations? You don't... Hello, is this not how we conduct? <laughs> Everything's Verbally? harder when you have to, okay.